check. Oh, wow. Sounds good today. Sounds great. Hello, hello once again. This is episode 137 of the ATP podcast, Around the Post. It's your boy Jay, and I got Mark Figaroa in the building. And you guys know 136 is 36 plus 1, which equals 37, and the number 7 is my favorite number. We made it. We're here. (laughs) So, um, This is a great episode for me mentally because this is the Indian Wells recap episode, and it's also the start of the Miami, which is... They call Indian Wells and the Miami Open combined the Sunshine Double. Uh, both of those slams, or not slams, those 1000s. So this is a great episode because we get to talk about what's happening in Miami and what happened in Indian Wells. I'm sure you have some other stuff too to talk about. Yes, I do. So how are you feeling, man? What are we going to do today? Yeah, I'm feeling good. Uh, uh, Miami just started. Uh, Isner lost early again. Uh, in two tiebreakers. Yes, in two tiebreakers. Uh, Monfils' comeback was uh, uh, just stopped. He had to forfeit due to a wrist injury. So that's disappointing. <sighs> he's been he's been out of the tour for a while, and uh, he had another wrist injury. So not uh, another, but another injury. Are we going to dig into that later, or can I just say my comments now? Just say your comment now. Um, from what I understand, he said that if he gets injured again, that's all, folks. Right. That's so, what I heard. So yes, he he did say that. Do you think he's gonna follow that? Uh, Is I, he done? I don't think so. I mean, it's possible, but um, Svitolina, his wife, hmm. uh, she's due to come back soon. Hmm. So I don't think that he's not gonna play. Yeah. So that's just my thought. Hmm. What do you think? Do you think he's done? Um, for me, it's, he reminds me a lot of like recording artists and musicians when they say, this is my final album. And then they put out three more albums. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that I, what I will say is I do believe that it'll be his statement of I'm no longer on the tour with a thought process of pursuing greatness. Um, I'm on the tour because I love tennis and my wife is also on the tour anyway. So I got to travel. I might as well play some tournaments and he's so entertaining. He's going to get wild cards into everything he enters because he sells tickets. People sit in the seats when he's playing a match. So I don't believe he's fully done, but I really am hoping this isn't a chronic injury and, you know, he continues to have these issues. Yes, I hope not either. But yeah, yeah, as you stated, people say that all the time and they keep going. So I don't think he's going to stick with it. So first off, congratulations to the doubles champions. We have Krishkova and Sinyukova still making a ton of noise. They've been on fire, winning everything. Remind people who Krishkova is. Remind Uh, them. Barbora Krishkova is the uh, lady that beat the top three players Mm. back to back to back Mm -hmm. to win in Dubai. Yeah. What happened last year? She won uh, singles and doubles at the French Open at the same time. She's a monster. So not at the same time, same tournament. Yeah. So congratulations to them. And then you got Rohan Bobana and Matthew Ebden who won the doubles. They were unseated and 
Bobana is now one of the oldest players to win a Masters 1000 in the PNB Paribas Open at the age of 43. Mm, so big wow. shout out there. So congrats to them. And they ended up beating the number one doubles team in the world. Scoopsy. Scoopsky, yes. Yeah. Which we just saw a pickleball video on yeah with jack sock yeah he's playing pickleball with jack sock yeah so um that that was pretty cool so we'll talk about the women later but first we're going to talk about uh radicanu she says she is a very inspired person after her showing at indian wells she Mm. says she's been lifting she's gained a little bit of weight muscle Mm -hmm. and she says she's more dedicated than ever to return to where she was when she won the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, she did lose to Andrescu. That's a respectable uh, loss. Which, uh, which I was going to say, that is a respectable loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Miami, first round. Yeah. Uh, do you believe that Raducanu can come back? You know, I saw Raducanu front row, in person, up close. I watched her play, and I, I have to be very honest with you. I'm a fan. And I went in with a... <laughs> With definitely the mindset of, isn't this the girl with the mental health problems? Isn't this the girl who popped out of nowhere and disappeared? Isn't this the girl with 50 coaches? I watched her play that match, and I watched her with the the mindset of waiting for the complaints, waiting for the whining, waiting for the complaining, waiting for the meltdown. And she figured it out. You know, she... She played out of her mind. She looked great. She looked stable. She looked confident. And to be totally honest with you... I think that she has a bright future. I think she looks great. I think her game is great. And I think that her saying she's in a positive mindset reinforces what I saw at Indian Wells. And her losing to Andrescu, that's just another phenomenal athlete. Andrescu is a slam winner as well. So, you know, there's nothing to be considered doubtful there. That's a great loss to me. Her growth will make sure that she doesn't run into an Andrescu in the first round in the future as long as she works hard. That's true. I saw her at Indian Wells as well. I saw her against Iga. And uh, she she looked fairly solid. Uh, she's very... Comp- it, okay. She's very clean as far as technique on the serve. Uh, ground strokes are good. Uh, there's a little part that's missing. Uh, maybe she hits off the back foot a little too much. Not enough forward momentum. But she's a good player, and I I was giving her a lot of flack, and I wasn't a big fan, but she definitely sold me as well uh, mm. at Indian Wells for sure. Mm-hmm. So uh, honestly, I hate to say this, but uh, there's too many holes uh, in uh, Coco Goff, who's the next uh, subject compared to Radicanu, in my opinion. Absolutely. That I can see Radicanu and say, okay, yeah, she has a better upside uh, yeah. currently. So speaking of... Uh, Coco Goff, she is uh, doing her acting debut. Uh, she, oh, yes, it, it's not a major movie; it's a little cartoon. Hmm. Yes, and and she was saying how hard it was. Uh, she's saying it wasn't as hard as tennis, but she was saying that just repeating uh, the scene over and over it was draining. She was excited about it, but she was saying that it definitely took a lot out of her and. Hopefully, she said, I, I like it. Maybe I'll do it again. But uh, that's what she said. What are your thoughts on uh, Coco Goff? And the name is uh, All-American Homecoming on the CW. On the CW, huh? Yes, All-American um, Homecoming. Uh, I like that for her. I do like when I hear that athletes are venturing outside of just the sport and doing different things. Hope 
she doesn't seem like the type that would get overly invested in distractions and lose sight of the tour. So I think for her that this was cool. This is a good look. Um, I like to see athletes finding opportunities more than just swinging the racket. And my opinion here, this is not important, but I don't think she needs to be a voice actor for anything. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I don't actually think she needs to be doing that role, but I think it's awesome. She got the opportunity. Um, that's exciting. And to kind of add on to what you were saying earlier, I saw Coco Goff in person and I saw Andrescu in person or not Andrescu, Radicanu in person. I have to say this. Radicanu looks way more rock solid overall from a technical perspective than Coco Goff does. So it'll be very interesting to see where their stories progress. But yeah, Coco Goff has things she needs to repair. And for me, Radicanu seems like she just needs time. Yes. You know, so that's a big difference. Needing repair and needing time is two separate phases in the journey. So I look forward to where they both end up. Yes, that's for sure. Now going to Iga, uh, as we know, she got rocked by the uh, Indian Wells champion, mm-hmm. uh, Rabakana. Yeah. <clears throat> I believe it was again. two. And, yes, again. I believe it was two and two or three and three, one or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, then after the match, she stated she's been dealing with a rib injury, uh, very similar to Nadal that rib injury that Nadal had. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your thoughts on the timing of her reveal of the injury after a loss? There's no doubt in my mind. I feel less sympathy for her than Nadal because I could visibly see it with Nadal. And it was 2-2, by the way. So you were, you were right, you're right the, the first time. Yeah, you were yes. right the first time. Um, but, you know, for me with Iga... I I don't want to hear why you lost to a person the second time, the second time. You know, for me, respect the athlete you lost to. The match is over. You lost whatever points you lost. No big deal. Take the loss and give them their credit for what they did for a second time. And you need to get back to the lab, work on what you need to work on, study what you need to study. And you're the champ. You're the GOAT. You're the person with the target on their back it's your job to do what you need to do to figure out how to win those matches the rib injury match her winning that is what makes her the person we want her to be you know we've had Feder, Djokovic, Nadal, Serena, Kleisters um, um, you know all these other legends these people went out there with something hurting something's always hurting on everyone and they found a way if she wants to be in the same conversation as those people 10 years from now, I don't want to hear about the rib. I want to hear about that after you win. And when you lose, give credit to your opponent. Yes, I agree there. Mm-hmm. Now, it must be a big injury because she did withdraw yeah. from Miami. Mm-hmm. So she's not there. But uh, before I get to her other big news, I guess she now has big rivals. I know we've been saying that, well, she's winning, but who's beating her yeah now we have two players that can beat her and mm-hmm. they can beat her badly yeah uh um we have uh Rabakina and and sabalenka, sabalenka who beat her at the year ending tournament mm-hmm. now we have big hitters that can beat uh Iga. now let me ask you the question if Iga can overcome these two uh uh 
monster players, is she worthy of that number one spot? Is is her dominating tennis now legit? Um, so for me, her dominance in tennis was always legit, but her place in the history books is what lacked a little bit of credence. And to be totally honest with you, I need Rabakina and Sabalenka to do a little more in their own personal journeys in order to enhance the story of Iga. Because right now, Iga's just losing to two good players. That's the story. It's not Federer's losing to Nadal. It's not Serena's losing to Justine Henin. This is Iga's losing to Sabalenka. That's it. You know, Sabalenka's storyline in the grand spectrum of the WTA catalog is not a big chapter. You know, so she, I would love to see Sabalenka build her own chapter in the book that allows Iga's storyline to be that much more grand. So as of right now, I'm not super, super big or sold on anything. Okay. I need more time. Okay. Um, Sabalenka does have a grand slam. Yeah. But speaking of, uh, she went back to old ways in the W, in the WT, in the, in the Indian Wells finals. Yeah. She double faulted multiple times more more times than she actually did in the whole match at the australian open and her second serve was just horrendous Mm -hmm. so she says she's going back to the lab quote unquote tried to fix it are you worried about sabalenka at all uh not worried let's let's keep a spade a spade here she made it to the finals of indian wells she played a good tournament now stadium one you're in the finals you're playing another phenomenal athlete Pressure can come into play. The mentality can come into play. Double faults can be expected from someone who's not quite fully composed at that stage. But yeah, you know, for me, this is just another one of those statements I need to that reinforce what I just said. These players chapter is not big enough yet for Iga to justify why she's losing to them in her peak. You know, it's it's ridiculous to me. At, at this point, you know, for Iga, I need her to be beating these people or I need these people to be greater in their journey. One or the other. In order to be compared to the greats. Yeah. Either steamroll them <laughs> and move forward and we go, wow, she steamrolled everyone. She who knows how great she could have been or those players do phenomenally well and she finally beats them. It's got to be one way or the other if we want her story to be as great as the Serena Williams, Venus Williams, even a Sharapova, for example, whose name still rings bells. I need her. The reason Sharapova's few slams wins do hold the weight they do is because of who else was competing for them. You know, so I need to see a little more. That makes sense. Okay, so before uh, the the more Egan news, we have a little bit of Ben Shelton news. He's the big up-and-coming American, big serve. Fritz even said... uh. His ball's kicking over my head. Mm-hmm. I couldn't handle it. Yeah. But anyway, he's being represented by Team 8. If you team know Team eight. 8, that's Roger Federer's agency. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on uh, Ben Shelton being represented by Team 8? I have mixed thoughts here. I don't know how in-depth we went last episode about Ben Shelton specifically. We didn't. Um, but I watched Ben Shelton play Taylor Fritz in Stadium 1. And I can say this, Ben Shelton is a future star, but Ben Shelton still has actual holes in his game 
And Ben Shelton still plays like a very young athlete. So he's he's a hostile stock to invest in. <laughs> you know, um, he's still taking his forehand at his waist instead of in front of him. He's still relying on his serve more than his actual ground strokes. He got out baseline gamed by Taylor Fritz. You know, so for me, Ben Shelton is a future star, but there's a lot of work to be done. Very similar to Coco Goff. Um, but I do think his ceiling is higher than a Coco Goff. He does have a mind-blowing serve. He is a lefty. He does have incredible volleys and overheads. He's very offensive. There's a lot to praise about his game, but I do think, um, I don't know if I'm saying a spoiler here, but him getting signed to Federer's agency and also signing on to the shoe company and the apparel company with Iga as well, I think that the the Ben Shelton and the Ega spectrum is they're they're pretty far apart as far as what they've done. So it was very interesting. Did, are, were you going to cover that already? I was going to cover that next. Yeah. So I I won't dig into that too deep yet, but I will say this: um, he's a great young prospect, but there are reasons he might not make it where we think he will still in his game. Well. Uh, <clears throat> Is as you stated way back a uh, couple of uh, maybe ten podcasts ago. It's uh, sometimes you have to invest in them early, yeah. Because if not, if they reach the ceiling, it's a done deal. Yeah. So sometimes you have to take that risk for sure. Mm-hmm. But now, as you just stated, they did sign with Federer's shoe company, mm-hmm. and um, Sviatic dropped Asics, who she's been wearing. And that's a big company. That's a big company. Yeah. And and the the shoe isn't really out yet. There's nobody really wearing it. Mm-hmm. But Iga said, "Yeah, we'll work on it, and hopefully, it comes out the way it's supposed to." Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I have a few thoughts, but I really want to hear your thoughts as well. For me, they signed two perfect athletes. If I'm an up and coming company, and I need to pick some people off the tour that haven't already been sucked into the sponsorship vortex, Shelton who's a young guy with a personality, big lefty serve, dog mentality. He wants to win. He's American, which has its own cultural wins here and there. Um, Lefty, big serve. He's a bit of a showman. And also Iga, who's the number one woman in the world and has a great, she's a great ambassador for women's tennis. That's a major win right there. I do think there's a major gap between who Iga is on the tour and who Shelton is on the tour, but I do think that they did a good job of picking one person who's an established, successful athlete and someone who could easily surpass that or maybe won't reach that. So I think they did everything right. But um, my question for you is, how do you feel about the fact that Shelton, who's in the infancy of his career, signed on with a company that's also kind of in the infancy of their career as well. I think that's pretty big. Actually, you can, uh, as I said, you have to take some risk. Mm-hmm. If if they grow together, mm-hmm. uh, that could be major. Yeah. Um, not to get off, well, I am going to have to, but uh, Converse in the 80s, they mm-hmm. were dominating the shoe business in basketball. Yeah. And then they did the Air Jordans, Nike, mm-hmm. and they didn't do it. Uh, Nike didn't really do it. It was all about Converse and that. And now look, mm-hmm. uh, the Air Jordans are still selling. Yeah. So that that could be a very nice match for mm-hmm. sure. So you never know. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
before talking about Carlitos here, uh, we're going to talk about Zverev. Now, Zverev has a documentary coming out about his tennis uh, uh, career. He's going to talk about his um, what happened in his injury against Nadal at mm-hmm. the French Open, his uh, rise. And there's a couple of uh, uh, players that are going to talk about him, Djokovic being one of them, in the documentary. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Are you willing to watch? I'm a student of the game. I adore tennis as a sport. I'm very interested. If he doesn't discuss smashing his racket against the umpire's chair, though, I don't want it. (laughs) (laughs) Cover the real story, (laughs) and then we could talk. Um, But, yeah, you know, I look forward to it. Do we know if it's going to be on Netflix or Hulu or... I don't know yet. All I know is that there's one out and don't know where what's streaming yet okay we'll find out we'll find out and hopefully broadcast that soon but yeah i'm very interested in that i think this very is a very interesting personality on the tour he's not a wimpy guy like sisipa but he's not a bad boy per se like uh curios yes he's somewhere floating in the middle where he's very opinionated he vocalizes thoughts he wins big matches but he's not polarizing per se and he's also not really that annoying. So it's it's a guy that I'd love to be able to make a real decision on by learning a little more about him. Yes. So I, I look forward to watching that doc and being able to decide if I'm a true fan of this guy or not. Yes. So I'd be interested in watching that too. So mm. we'll see what happens there. Now, congratulations to Carlos Alcaraz. Alcaraz. Winning uh, Indian Wells. Uh, there's a ton of stats there. So... I'll get to that a little later, but I thought this was very interesting. Uh, there's always the conspir- the comparison of uh, Alcaraz being compared to Nadal. Hmm. And Alcaraz even saying, don't compare me to Nadal. I'm trying to be Carlos Alcaraz. Hmm. Well, there's another person who said, you shouldn't compare him to Nadal either. And that's Paul Anacone, who you know was Pete's, Sampras's coach, and Roger Federer's coach as well. Hmm. And he said, and I quote, I think he's a lot more like Roger than Rafa mm. because Rafa couldn't take the ball early like Alcaraz does at 19 mm. and Rafa couldn't come forward like Alcaraz does. Mm-hmm. Roger could always stay on the baseline and always look like he had time. And that's what this kid looks like. Do you agree with uh, Paul Anacone on the comparison between Alcaraz and Federer? I do. I actually do. I think that that's actually a very good observation. And let's be honest here. Alcaraz, although he does use a lot of defensive abilities in his movement, and we see that as a bit of a highlight of his game, he isn't eight feet behind the baseline playing tennis. He's not, you know, and he is exercising the fact that he takes the ball early and he's aggressive to allow him to use that drop shot, which is a major piece of variety in his game. The underspin in his game is a weapon. And I think that that's something that is the gospel of Federer, which is you have to respect my forehand. And because you respect my forehand, now I can use my slice. And it's a weapon. Nadal has never in his career been known for his slice. Ever. You know, so out of the quote-unquote big four even, I think he has the least renowned slice. Alcaraz is 19 and we're talking about his slice. Are we kidding here? I think that that makes him the closest to Federer between the two for sure. And, you know, what separates him from Federer, which is 
probably why I wouldn't compare him to Federer either is that Federer did have probably a top five serve in history with his ability to place it. And we'll it. get to that later. And, yeah, and disguised and all that. But I do agree. He might, outside of him being Spanish, he might be a little bit more similar to the Fed story than the Nadal story. So. Yes. Yes, Nadal started to use the dropper a lot on clay, especially. Yeah. But yes, I, I can I can see that for sure. Now, we had Medvedev coming to Alcaraz's defense mm. uh, in the press conference after the tournament. He said, I'm pretty much tired of people saying that Carlos Alcaraz doesn't deserve to be number one. Mm. He said he has the most points. That makes him number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can also say, oh, sure, if Nadal wasn't injured, maybe he would have won more slams. Mm. So deservedly so, Djokovic is, quote unquote, the best. Mm. But number one, Alcaraz deserved it. He has more points. He's playing. Djokovic is not, period. What are your thoughts on Medvedev coming to Alcaraz's defense? Um, I'm going to say two sides of the coin here. If I had just lost to a guy in a final, I'd want him to be number one, too. <laughs> so I could say, hey, I lost to the number one. That's one way to put it. But on the flip side, he's not wrong. Look, at the end of the day, we can talk hypotheticals and, um, you know, ideals and stuff like that about who we think is the real quote unquote number one. But ultimately, what it comes down to is who's playing, who's not, who's showing up, who's not. If you're not coming to every tournament for some reason, and I am, why should I be held behind because of that? I'm showing up every tournament. I'm playing every time. We could even flip it and say, okay, well, Djokovic is more well-rested when he does show up. You know, he's more fresh when he comes to tournaments. He's more hungry when he comes because I've been playing everything. So, you know, in this conversation, I'm going to also give credit to Alcaraz as well, as well, out of my opinion. But, you know, for the people who are saying Djokovic might be the real number one, Unless Djokovic wins every slam this year and Alcaraz still finds a way to collect more points, there's nothing to discuss. Yeah, I I agree there. Now, before going on to a little bit more Medvedev news, um, Alcaraz has to make at least semis or better in order to retain the number one spot. As we know, he did win Miami last year. And if he doesn't at least make it to the semis, Djokovic will regain the number one spot. Mm -hmm. But here's where it gets interesting. Both of them pretty much have the same amount of points to defend on the clay court. Mm. So now the clay court season is going to determine who the real number one player really is, Mm. especially if Alcaraz doesn't make it at least to the semis. Mm. Uh, Who you got your chips on, Alcaraz or Djokovic? You know, it's funny here. Um, I'm going to lean towards Alcaraz here. Um, I think that the way he played at Indian Wells, I have pretty high hopes for him at the Miami Open. No Djokovic is there. And he played who my favorite guys would be for the Miami Open. So there's not a whole lot of reason to doubt him. He beat Medvedev convincingly at Indian Wells. And Miami isn't that much faster than Indian Wells. It's faster, but not by a lot. So for me, I'm going to lean towards him with this this event i think he'll reach semis and then on clay i'm gonna go ahead and just support the underdog here i do think that djokovic is a great clay court player i do think he'll get his points he'll get his just dues but 
I would love to see a little struggle. Yes, I, I definitely. This is going to be one exciting clay court uh, season, especially with Nadal. He's already entered Monte Carlo. Djokovic already has uh, the race between Alcaraz and Djokovic for number one. Will Nadal with another French Open? Will he retire, quote-unquote? Mm. It's going to be a very exciting uh, clay court season for sure. Mm. Now, moving on to Medvedev a little more. He stated after the in the press conference again, he stated that uh, his style of play is to stay back, the six feet that you say, quote-unquote. Mm. And he's not going to change that. Although Alcaraz beat him soundly, he said, I'm not going to change that. That's how I play. I'll find a way to beat uh, people the way I play. What are your thoughts on him saying that? Um, it's a little <laughs> bit narrow-minded, but here's the thing. I do believe that the greatest people in history had to have a little bit of delusion to get where they are. Because there's a million reasons to believe something won't work. And you have to have a you have to still believe it will work for it to work. You know, um the number one example I have is um let's just use Kobe Bryant for example. Uh Kobe Bryant was not the most talented physically person in the NBA or on his journey to the NBA. But he had this almost level of delusion that without physical giftedness or talent, hard work would, he was destined to be the best and he made it happen. I do think that Medvedev has a little bit of that in him where he's going, look, I'm not going to try to be play like Alcaraz or Federer out there. Because that's how they win matches. I'm going to do what I do, and I'm going to do it the best, and I'm going to make it work for me, and I'm going to win matches doing it. He's come. He came off a 16 or 17 match win streak. Right. Um, I'm not here to overanalyze. Clearly what he's doing is working, and he lost to the number one player in the world. That's fine. So I totally back his thought process, and you shouldn't try to reinvent the wheel when out of 17 matches, you lost one. There's no reason to make adjustments yet. When you start losing two or three matches out of seven, okay, now we can talk about analyzing and picking things apart. For now, I think that he's making the right decision. Now, he did beat Djokovic the way he plays, which is back. So uh, it was a little windier. Mm -hmm. uh, he hits flatter. Mm -hmm. But... He, he, he will find a... I'm, I believe that if they were to play again, Alcaraz and Medvedev, there would be an adjustment. Mm -hmm. And as you said, yeah, I wouldn't... After one match, I wouldn't say, oh, I'm going to change, especially yeah. uh, beating Djokovic that way as well. Yeah. So, I yeah, I agree there. So now more Medvedev, because he was really praising Alcaraz. Mm -hmm. He was saying he has all the weaponry. He's only 19. It is scary that he is this good. He straight out said he has the biggest forehand on the tour. He said it has more pace and more uh, spin, and it lands deeper than any other player on tour. Now, as we know, last year, the biggest forehand was Matteo Berrettini. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that comment? Well, I will say this. I saw Matteo Berrettini in person, and I saw Alcaraz in person as well, in some regard. And 
Alcaraz is a superior player. I'll say that. Um, I do think that Berrettini's forehand might be a little more on paper numerically violent, but I think Alcaraz overall is a more complete athlete. And so let's say this. Maybe the best serve on the entire tour is John Isner, right? Yes. But does it matter if his return is number 500 on the tour? (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, There's got to be a reciprocated statistic that supports you being such a high performer. So, for example, Federer's serve is incredible, but he also gets a lot more returns in play, which makes his serve even better. If you're an actual athlete, you'd understand that knowing that it's hard to break someone and that they can also break you makes it even harder to return their serve because you know you got to get that ball in. So I think that this makes Alcaraz's forehand better than Berrettini's because we know that that backhand is so much stronger than the Berrettini backhand. Right. So... Yeah, I, I'm 100% there with him. Were you going to talk about Ali Asim's statements at all, or can I drop those now? Drop them. Um, this is a statement from Felix, who was on fire at Indian Wells, and the fire got extinguished by Carlos. Yes. Um, this is his quote-unquote statement. I've never played someone who played so aggressively and so fast and so well. I didn't have a moment's peace. Every time I made a neutral ball... I was attacked. I always felt like I was in the red. In my head, in my body, everything. He basically is stating that he never had a sense of comfort while he was on the court with Alcaraz. What are your thoughts on that? Well, that backs up what Medvedev said. Mm-hmm. Uh, Medvedev, uh, uh, sorry, Alcaraz has, to me, I saw him in person and he has the weaponry for sure. But mm-hmm. his forehand is so clean. His spacing, the way he hits the ball the the spin that he puts mm-hmm. the depth of, of shot he takes time away from you for sure and he just sets up so many points and he can what he does really well is he gets you off the court and then dropper mm-hmm. he'll kick serve you out wide open up the court dropper and he doesn't miss mm-hmm. those droppers he, he obviously he's human he'll miss but a lot of the times he doesn't mm-hmm. he'll he'll hit a cross court shot get you off the court dropper so he's just, he's a complete player for sure. These are statements coming from two separate top 10 athletes. Um, when's the last time we've heard two top 10 athletes praise an athlete like this that wasn't the big three? Yeah, it hasn't. It's It's been a long time. Yeah, I can't remember. Right. So I think that um, we're in for a treat here. I think that, you know, I hate to be... Uh, Caught, uh, a guy who's caught in the moment, but Alcaraz might be the guy, you know, the real future of tennis. Yes, and uh, again, I won't go into everything because then this uh, <laughs> this episode will be just Medvedev praising Alcaraz, but he said uh, it's not a matter of, of how many slams he's going to win. It's going to be, will he win 10 or 23? What are your thoughts on Medvedev's statement? Is he going to win 10 or 23 or 5 or 7? You know, it sounds like a crazy statement because it's so early. But when you think to yourself, this guy's not even in his 20s yet. He's not in his 20s yet. And he's going to experience an era 
where there is no Novak Djokovic, Nadal, or Federer. 20 slams is not that crazy. It's mm-hmm. just not. You know, this is a guy who is fairly successful on every surface but grass, and that can change. Right. So, you know, I think that that's a very good statement, and it's it's not ridiculous to think that this kid is going to get 15 slams at least, you know. So I'm right there with it. Yes, I agree. So now the records. So he is the youngest man to win both Indian Wells and Miami. Mm. He's the second teen to win at least three Masters 1000s. Obviously, number one is Nadal, Mm -hmm. who has six as a teenager. Mm. Alcaraz is going to turn 20 in Madrid. So uh, this is Miami's going to be the last one, Mm -hmm. unless he wins Monte Carlo. Yeah. Um, He did not drop a set. So only two other people have done that. Nadal and Federer. Mm -hmm. Djokovic hasn't done that. Just throwing that in there. Uh, (laughs) What are your thoughts on those stats? Uh, Once again, incredible stats. And this is a guy who's just really, you know, I'm not going to lie. I thought that the stats were a lot of, you know, hocus pocus. Wow. You know, we can come up with a statistic to create a narrative for anyone if we try hard enough. But, you know, it's getting to a point now where there isn't a reason to not believe. You know, he's really making it make sense. His game is complete. He's a rock solid athlete. He's got the mentality. And the only thing that's going to be required moving forward is his health. Right. So, you know, I'm I'm pretty much a fan. I do have faith and I think he's going to be successful. Right. I agree there for sure. And now moving on from Carlos uh, Nadal news now. It is official. He is out of the top 10 for the first time since 2005. When he returns to Monte Carlo, he will be the 13th seed on the ATP rankings. What are your thoughts? Can he still win on clay? Can he still make a deep run at Monte Carlo? He owns Monte Carlo just as he does the French Open. Seeding doesn't matter for Nadal. Um, I think that this is hilarious because... <laughs> This is going to be one of those moments where you shouldn't feel bad for Nadal. You should feel bad for the guy who draws Nadal. <laughs> because They probably worked really hard to be 20 in the world. And now they got to face the greatest clay court player in history in the first or second round. That is the real travesty. Nadal is going to be just fine. He's going to go in there, probably steamroll some guy 6'4", 6'4". Um, and do his thing and be successful at it and he'll get to the final or whatever but these other guys we cannot wish that same thing for so it is what it is yes that is for sure uh so now now finally getting to miami we have um withdrawals here uh radicanu actually got lucky because there was a, a lot of people that were missing from the tournament we have cornet contavit uh, and a couple other top 50 players that dropped out. So that uh, Radicanu and Taylor Townsend got into uh, Miami. Hmm. So that was pretty interesting. And then we have uh, in the men, we still have uh, Corda with the wrist injury. Jack Draper, who retired after the Alcaraz match, he didn't show up. Uh, we have Chilich still and Brooksby not showing up. So to replace them, we had Umber, who's a decent player, uh, Poprin, and Kokonakis. Now, Kokonakis, 
actually、mm. lost in qualifiers. What? But since all these people dropped, Kokonakis was able to get in. Thank goodness. What are your thoughts on that?、Uh, I'm really happy for Tanasi. He's grinding right now. Look, he's, he's, I know these tournaments are two weeks long. He's playing for three weeks. You know, he's working really hard trying to build up his standings on the tour. And look, maybe I have a soft spot for the guy. I don't know. But I do think that he deserves to work his way up to at least being able to lose in the first round at these events without playing the qualies. So I have high hopes for him. And it just really is a testament to show you this is a guy who just won a Grand Slam in doubles. Yes. And he is in the trenches right now,、mm-hmm. really working to even be in the main draw. So the reality of the tennis tour is that, you know, if you're outside the top 50, this is no joke. You know, you got to work. So either he's got to be more funny and sell tickets. <laughs> or he's got to win more. Yes. One or the other. And、uh, to throw out a name that we haven't、uh, talked about in a long time, but we have mentioned is Benoit Pair. Benoit Pair beat Kokonakis in the qualifiers.、Hmm. So、uh, he was the, as, as, if you guys don't remember who Benoit Pair is, he was the one saying, oh, he was the one that was losing in every single first round match. Yeah. And he was like, I'm collecting my money, though. I don't care. Yeah. And then he was all, oh, I've made this much money in career earnings, and he's flashing his dollars in, in, on Instagram and stuff. Yeah. So, Look,、uh, Benoit Pair is essentially, if I had a, a tier list of showmen that are funny to watch, but also very talented, it goes Kyrios at the top, Gail Monfee below that. Yes. Then Bublik below that. And at the very bottom is Benoit Pair. Who has highlight? He has one of the、yes. best highlights in tennis history where he's sliding in slow motion and you see his racket flat, 180 degrees flat. He cuts a ball and slices it right at the net. It floats over the net and jumps back over right in front of him. It's one of the most beautiful shots ever recorded in slow motion. Oh, yes, big time. And this guy is a complete doof on the court. Yes. <laughs> you know? So、um, he's one of those guys that I would love to catch for 10 bucks. <laughs> At a pre quality event and watch him play because he's that fun to watch. Yes. But at the same time, he's also that guy that when he loses at the qualies, you go, Yeah, it's been a while. I, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. And、so. um, uh, moving on to Murray,、uh, they were on、uh, Alcaraz and Murray were on the same draw in Miami.、Uh, Draper beat Murray、uh, prior to Alcaraz playing Draper. But now Murray lost in the first round to Lajovic. This is the first、uh, setback for Murray. He's been making fairly decent runs, and this is his first、uh, loss in the first round. Are you concerned? No, not at all.、Um, I think that it's okay for him. I think that we should l- look forward to Murray's performance at the coming slams now. He's already proven this year that he can play at a high, high level. He's unfortunately not gathered as many points as his pl- level of play has justified. But I think that we can now assume he's a threat to anyone on the court. You know, I, I'm happy for him that he's going to be able to take a rest. He lost by a single break in each set. So, you know, he didn't get landslide victoried over. And. I do anticipate. I didn't watch the match, so I don't really know what made him lose or what happened, but I think that he'll be fine and he'll perform at a high level in the very near future. Yes. So now,、uh, two more topics,、uh, and that's、uh, Patrick Martagalu. 
uh, making some uh, interesting claims. Uh, one of them was from last week, but he made another one this week. He put his top returners of all time. Hmm. I'm not even going to waste my time on the on the top five because the top three is the interesting part. Okay. He said Agassi was at number three. Hmm. He said David Nalbandian. Now I will say Nalbandian did beat Federer, Djokovic, and Nadal in one tournament. He did do that. Okay. Okay. And then he put Djokovic at number one. And the reasoning he said that Djokovic was a better returner is because he just gets everything back. He uh, people that are ace leaders, mm-hmm. he just makes look very bad, poor, because they don't get those aces. Do you agree with uh, Martagalu's list? This is of all time. Yes. Andy Murray's in my top four of all time. I didn't mention the top five. It was only the top three because that's when I was, okay, seriously right now? Yeah. Uh, Andy Murray's in my list. And, you know, there's there's got to be a conversation about the guys who don't rely on the return but still always get balls in play. And, you know, I think Federer was a bigger risk taker with his serve return but was just as great at reading the ball, contacting a great serve, and putting it back in play as Djokovic and Murray were. You know, but obviously he was a bit more of a risk taker because he could lean on his serve harder. And I hate that that is a stip that's a almost counted against him because he took more risk on his return games. You know, the best servers in the history of tennis, a lot of them didn't have to work hard on their return games. They need to put together one quality packaged return game and get a break. Uh, Sampras is one of those guys as well. So. Sampras will never be a top five returner because he wasn't working that hard. (laughs) He just had to put a few together to make it happen. So, you know, for me, I think his list is respectable, but I definitely like Murray in that list. Um, It's 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 funny to to say, but um, Agassi, although he you have Karlovich and Isner who are one and mm. two in aces. Yeah. But in the 90s, uh, you have all these top servers. Mm-hmm. And Agassi was facing each and every one of them. Yeah. Uh, when grass was being played fast. That's a big factor I didn't think about. That's a very so big factor. So to me, to, to put Agassi at three mm-hmm. is just dumb to yeah, me. You're right, because the, the conditions for returner back then were way more difficult that's a really good call out yes as a matter of fact and now it depends on your type of server returner yeah uh Djokovic is Gumby he mm. doesn't really do much with the return yeah he will just stab at it and yes it is extremely difficult to ace him I'll give him that yeah. yes Agassi was more of the aggressive returner yeah and he would put you on the defensive from the get go yeah so Personally, I prefer Agassi's return game than Djokovic's because of that. Mm-hmm. So it depends on what you like, whether or not you put Agassi or Djokovic at one and two. Mm-hmm. But to put Nalbandian over Agassi, Marchagalu, what are you smoking? <laughs> Do you have anything to add to that? Uh, you made some really good points I didn't think about. Um, 
as soon as you reminded me that surfaces are a lot slower today and now, um, I I think I'm putting Agassi in my, he's 1A or 1B, you know, but he's probably right there with Djokovic. I know that we're comparing apples to oranges in the return universe, but I personally, as a guy who plays the sport, have more respect for the guy who faced a top three server in history and was taking the ball aggressively and more early. I have to respect that. You know, Djokovic is 1,000% an amazing returner. He puts his racket on every ball you hit. He makes it land past the service line every time. But which guy are you looking at on TV and going, I could never. The guy who's returning that top three serve in history with a full swing? Or the guy who's stabbing the ball and just making the other guy have to get to it and play the point out with him? Right. I got to go Team Agassi. I'm Team Agassi. Yes, I, I agree. I mean, Agassi just has a, again, if you're if you're offensive-minded, you have to go with Agassi. Yeah. So that's what I'm going with right there. And now the the subject from last week, Martagilu had his top five servers of mm-hmm. all time. Yeah. And th- this is freaking embarrassing to me. I'm sorry. Okay. He put probably, to me, one of the best servers of all time mm-hmm. at number five. Go ahead. Pete Sampras. That's crazy. That's crazy. had a 114 mile an hour second serve. You have Djokovic serving 80 second serve, 90 (sighs) second serve. That is ridiculous. Number, okay. Mm -hmm. I'm going to calm down now. Okay, calm down. Calm down. (laughs) I agree with you. I just said it before you even brought this up. Sampras' serve is amazing. Yes. And then he had... uh, Karlovich, I believe. Mm-hmm. Then he had Roddick mm-hmm. at three. Respectable. Mm-hmm. Isner at two. And Nick Kyrgios at number one. Mm. Do you agree with that list? No, not at all. Not even a little bit. Um, and these are of all time. Yeah. For me personally, Federer has to be in my top five. Period. There's no negotiating that. Put him wherever you want on your list, but he's top five. You know, we can argue the the details and the small stuff, but this is a guy who beat Andy Roddick at Wimbledon with his serve. Andy Roddick, who's probably another top five server in history. Yeah, he put him at three. Yeah, you know, um, so he beat him there on the grass where serve is everything. Uh, Roger Federer not being on his list is a smack in the face and discredits his entire list automatically. Gone. Um, I do think Kyrgios probably has a top five serve in history, but doesn't have a top five overall game to back it up. Um, I do think that his serve got him to a Wimbledon final against Djokovic, where he didn't embarrass himself when he lost because of his serve. But, you know, the bottom line is Karlovic's serve... I'm not going to be a complainer or nag at the fact that it's because of the trajectory of the ball and his height. It is what it is. It is a great serve. But what happens if Karlovic's first serve got completely deleted and he only could hit second serves? Yeah, that makes sense. What happens when he only hits second serves for an entire match? Do you want Pete Sampras serving for you now with his second serve? Or do you want Karlovic? I'm, I'm going with Pete. I'm going with Pete every time. I'm going with Federer every time. I'm going with Kyrgios every time. I'm going with Roddick every time with the second serve. And that's half of the game. 
you know, most of these athletes we're discussing right now, they have about a 60 to 65% first serve percentage. So what, what do you do that other 35% of the time? You know, that's a huge percentage. So for me, I'm definitely, if I'm making a top five, my number one, two, and three are probably, and this is me just spitballing stuff, Fed, Sampras, Kyrgios, and that's me just spitballing it, and Kyrgios is probably number three. Would you um, have, uh, who would you have at number one? I'm probably going to go Federer just because of his level of success with a slower serve than Sampras. I think his serve on paper is a little bit slower. Don't quote me on that. But here's where you want to get real techie. Sampras did it with an 85 square inch rack. I was about to say that. And that is scary. I was about to say that. For people who aren't real te- uh, tennis nerds, just know that Federer was serving with a 98 square inch racket on the, the tail end of his whole entire career. From 2013 to 2019, he had a 98 inch square inch racket. Sampras used 85 his whole career. That alone. That is mind, that's mind boggling. His racket frame was just so much smaller. So that's over 10 square inches gone. And he's going against Agassi, top yes. three returner in history. Yes. You know, and that was his quote unquote rival that he owned. So, you know, this is one of those things where after I vocalize all these thoughts, I might have to put Sampras first. Um, but they're definitely my one and two. Yes. Sure. Uh, um, after stealing my thunder. Thank you. Um, you just stole it. I, yeah. I was going to say it. Yeah. That, that alone puts Pete at number one. Yeah. To me. Now I'm going to make my list. Uh, okay. He did make a very good point. Uh, before making my list, he did say that Kyrgios was actually playing better returners mm-hmm. than Pete. Yeah. So that's why he had to put Kyrgios at number one. Which is respectable. And again, we just made the Agassi statement, but yeah. again, it depends on what you like. Yeah. Now, Isner, I'd have to put him in the top five because mm-hmm. in that 70-68 matchup at Wimbledon, mm-hmm. he did not get broken once. <sighs> So that's impressive. Yeah. You have to give him that. Yeah. Karlovich was uh, is second in aces. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard to just boot him out of the top five. Yeah. You can't just say, oh, his game is lacking. So you can't. Yeah. And then Andy Roddick, he didn't get broken at Wimbledon, uh, I believe. I think he, he lost in a tiebreak yeah. to, to Federer. He did. So, so he didn't get broken at all. Mm-hmm. So... That tells you something as well. Mm-hmm. So for me, it would have to be Pete. I'd probably put Federer mm-hmm. and then maybe Isner, uh, Roddick. And again, since Karlovich is second in aces, I would have to put him at five. Mm-hmm. But then you still have your Gorons. You still have mm-hmm. big, big servers still out there that probably deserve it as well. Mm-hmm. So to me, uh, Martagulu, he's great. If you watch his YouTube page, he's really great at breaking stuff down. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to lists, he he's smoking something. He's on something. Yeah. I'm sorry. He I think he's a little caught in the moment is all it is. There's definitely that that hypnotization of what I just saw with my eyes recently and forgetting the impact of what I used to see. You know, it's less impactful for you and you're less caught in the moment. So, yes, I think he's discrediting them because it's old. Yeah, That's that all. makes sense. Now, Kyrgios does have a great serve. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but to put him at number one, to me, is not, he hasn't, you, you're talking about, you need to see more. Yeah. He needs to do more. 
Yeah. In order to get that spot, in yeah. my opinion. Mm-hmm. So, is there anything else you have? Any other news? Um, I could double check, but I don't think so. Um, let me let me skim skim the reports here. Um. Oh, <laughs> I have one thing. Uh, I just want to read you this quote here, and we're gonna leave it after this, okay? This is from Stefano Sisipas. No, geez. <laughs> this is um after his woes with Indian Wells. You know, I just wish I had friends on the circuit. I wish I had friends on the circuit. It's just that I don't feel like we're very similar, at least in our approach to life in general. We'll just leave it at that. Quote. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> he feels lonely when he's in the locker room. That's Cry- what he's saying. Cry me a river. So, Stefanos, find a friend. Yeah. Um, this has been another episode of the ATP Podcast. Thanks for listening. I hope you guys were entertained. <laughs>